Welcome back to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, where experts discuss and share best practices to manage the convergence of the wired, the tired, and technology. I'm your host, Ira Wolf. Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Excited to have this morning uh, as my guest, John Carson, uh, from a startup called CollegeVine, and I'll let him explain a little bit more about what it is in just a few minutes. Uh, but uh, good morning, John. Good morning. Yeah, hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, I just how we connected, uh, just to let everybody know. And also, this is the first ever episode that I've ever recorded remote. So if you hear some uh, sirens in the back or, or some noise, uh, we got stranded in New York for uh, the, the snowstorm that just hit. So I'm just a block or two off of uh, Broadway. So if you hear some sirens, they're not coming for us. Uh, they're, uh, you know, just, just a little noise in the background. Uh, so, John, uh, I posed a question um, probably before the beginning of the year, and it just took our schedules, uh, took a while to get us together. Uh, and the question was, is how do you work in an organization where you have uh, baby boomers and millennials? And that seems to be headline news a lot. Uh, some of the challenges, different generations. And uh, you responded. And um, and what I noticed was uh, kind of in the bio, and again, I'll let you describe a little bit about what College Vine is and how that was created and how you got involved with it. But uh, I guess there's a difference of almost uh, three and a half to four decades apart between you as the CEO and the founders who are uh, 20-something millennials. And if you give us a little bit of background on College Vine, how it got started, where it was, and then we'll talk about how do you manage that gap. Um, all right, so uh, CollegeVine solved the problem of, uh, you know, knowledge economy, uh, sort, of, uh, sort of jobs are, good jobs are sort of harder to come by, so there's a higher premium on, you know, the college experience and uh, sort of having the right trajectory and uh, college uh, sort of uh, chapter of your life. Uh, and that then flows into the high school world where it's increasingly important to get those four years right. Um, and the problem is that the high school guidance departments have been hollowed out over time with budget cuts. So the uh, average kid gets 38 minutes of time. So that's the problem. The definition of College Vine is it is a virtual guidance platform for high schoolers. Uh, I met the founders in the fall of 2015. They were at the Harvard Innovation Lab, and we got paired up. Uh, I was their mentor. I had just sold my last company uh, three or four months earlier, so I was in my sort of sabbatical year. And so when I sat down to meet with them, uh, the first thing that was sort of, uh, sort of caught my attention uh, was that it was a consumer sort of education type of company, and uh, the biggest exit I've ever had was a consumer ed tech company, so there was a match there. Um, the second was that the company was doing just under $100,000 that month out of their dorm room, and that was important because that suggested that whatever they were doing, they had caught some kind of wave. And what they were doing was they, you know, a cottage sort of make some sort of money on the side business had sort of exploded underneath them, whereby they had been helping 
uh, high schoolers, mostly from their sort of hometown and the local sort of area, uh, to navigate the college admissions process. The company was called Admissions Hero. Uh, they had gotten into top schools, and so they were, you know, the word got out, and uh, again, there's this problem of not enough resources at the high school or school. So, you know, parents being rational actors reach out for, you know, other people who can help. So this business was sort of taking off, and they then ultimately got so overwhelmed by demand, they started to engage classmates, and that really led to the big insight of the company, which is that we deliver a near-peer mentorship uh, service model whereby we pair a high schooler up with a uh, college student uh, who, you know, knows a bit about navigating high school and clearly knows how to navigate the college admissions process. And that relationship is very powerful because they're close enough to relate to each other and the high schooler um, sort of feels like the college kid sort of understands his jelly beans, and, but it's also far enough ahead in sort of life's journey to be respected. So that's where we started. Um, it sort of morphed from a college admissions company called uh, Admissions Hero to a high school guidance platform called College Vine where, you know, one of our vines is mentorship uh, that starts in ninth and 10th grade, trying to get your interests right, grade forecasting, dealing with stress, so all the stuff that high schoolers have to deal with. And then for the 11th and 12th graders, the traditional college guidance service that we've always done, and then academic tutoring throughout. Um, so it's really sort of now a, sort of a four-year guidance platform for high schoolers that are looking to supplement what they're getting from their local sort of uh, high school guidance department. I guess talking about what our uh, kind of the original approach was, was talking about how, you know, boomers and millennials relate to one another, and, and you're, you're certainly there. But what I wanted to do is just make sure everybody understood when we talk about millennials, we're generally talking about um, young people born, uh, I guess they may not, they're not the youngest anymore, but young people born between 1980 and somewhere around 1996, which puts the youngest around 20-some uh, years old, 20 or 21, and then the oldest are, are really 37. So I think when a lot of people talk about millennials, they're, you know, they're, they're assuming that they're talking about the, the guys that are your age or, or the age of your founders. Um, you know, in the 22 to 23 year old range, and they're among the youngest of the millennials, but the oldest are, you know, really in their 30s already, and they've been pretty well established in the workplace. But you're you're even talking about if you're going down to high school, you're talking about what what has now been called Gen, Generation Z or Gen Z, um, because those are the I guess the 15 to 18-year-olds or 19-year-olds. But how do you you know what have you learned, um, or, or how have you kind of adapted to or overcome maybe there's a better question have you overcome some of the challenges of you know having you as a older baby boomer work with 22 year olds i mean that's uh, again all i hear is what do you do about these young kids and their attitudes and i, I don't share that but that's sort, sort of the main street uh you know mantra well, I think that, you know, I would just, um, first I would offer a little bit of sort of his, historical um, sort of context. So I'm a baby boomer, uh, and when I got out of college, the baby boomer generation had sort of a lot of the same rap that the millennials have. 
You know, mm-hmm. they, they just want to be in charge out of the box. They don't want to pay their dues. They think they know everything. They're impatient. Um, you know, maybe they're just 22-year-olds. <laughs> uh, right. And so I think that I don't think – I think there is a um, – you know, Gen Xers have the same rap. I think this is a the, the, this is a narrative that basically replays itself every 15 years or so, and the institutional memory sort of lapses and forgets that. Yeah, actually, we were talking about Gen Xers that way too. Oh yeah, and we were talking about Boomers before that, and you know, and it probably will continue. Now that said. Um, you know, there is the broader issue that you're raising, which is, you know, this um, large gap in experience between uh, myself and my colleagues. Um, and we've just brought in uh, a head of sales, and he would be a, considered an older millennial. He's like 32. I think that, you know, it starts with, you know, make sure it, it really comes down to basics. So make sure you're working with good people because good millennials, um, like good Gen Xers and good baby boomers, um, are hard workers. They're self-aware. Uh, you know, they are, you know, you know, good critical thinkers. You know, if you sort of hire the right people, the raw material that walks in the door is actually pretty good. Um, the second is really sort of uh, born out of my experience early in my career where I spent, uh, I had a brief stint uh, at a consulting firm called McKinsey and & Company, and then I had my own consulting firm that was sort of modeled off of McKinsey, whereby we hired undergraduates, uh, more than MBAs. Um, but in both those environments, what I saw was that, you know, younger people who were, you know, carefully selected, Um, if they're given a great deal of responsibility, will typically rise to the sort of occasion. And so it requires a level of respect. Uh, It requires a level of trust. It requires a level of forgiveness that sometimes it won't go right. Mistakes will get made. Um, uh, But that's all in the spirit of, you know, getting to a larger goal. So I think that, you know, those are a couple of key elements. And then I think lastly, just make sure everybody's focused on the same goal. Because everyone's focused on the same goal. They'll row together and the boat will get to the desired sort of end point, you know, in the right sort of way. Now, I appreciate that. And and as soon as you responded uh, to me, uh, again, just a few weeks ago uh, when I was planning this, you mentioned a few things, and one was that mutual respect, and uh, you know that that certainly fit. But as you were just talking about, is that each generation seems to remember the younger generation a little bit differently. Um, not a, I have a, a magazine cover from 1968, um, which is the front cover, and it's a millennial, and they talked about the narcissism and the sex revolution. And, uh, you know, I have one from the, the 70s, I have one from the 80s, but uh, if you do any research, you, you find out that this same uh, thought goes into the younger generation, what older generations think about younger generations, uh, goes all the way back to, uh, I have quotes from Chaucer and Shakespeare and even Hippocrates, which was, you know, like 40, uh, I, I guess I think it's 44 BC. So it actually goes back millennials, and, and you're absolutely right that they're, you know, there's an age difference, and we forget what it's like to grow up. Um, but it's also perspective, I think, um, because I, I just saw yesterday, that I have to find where the article was again, but they, they talked about how branding 
you know, is changing in the perspective and uh, that uh, millennials don't realize that Paul Newman ever did anything other than have a salad dressing. They don't know who Paul, Paul Newman is. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's perspective. I mean, we assume that everybody knows what we know with 30 or 40 years of uh, adult, adulthood behind us, but they don't. You, you also mentioned, and I want to bring this up, um, you know, or, or not bring it up, but ask you how you, uh, how you bridge the gap. Uh, you know, were, were there things that, um, although you can hire the right people that share your value, you, you provide them a purpose, uh, there's there's still going to be some com- communication differences. So, you know, what steps did you take to overcome that? Uh, so I guess first I'll ask, when you say some communication differences, like what kinds of things are you imagining? Well, you know, there's there's certainly a clash. Well, there's a clash of styles, but then I guess going back to the earlier comments we had is, is there – is the difference age or is the difference just that people have different ways of communicating? And I, 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 believe, it was, I believe you mentioned that at one point you even used um, a tool. Uh, we use DISC. I, I recommend that. But I think you used Myers-Briggs um, you know, in helping understand one another. So, I mean, was, was that something that you used in a prior company? Was it recommended to – you know, help bridge your gap. I mean, you've been work with the company about a year, year and a half, I guess. Um, you know, how did how did you get that everybody was talking in the same plane and and even had that mutual respect? Well, the the um, so respect is earned. Um, you know, it, it's not sort of given. Uh, the you know, I guess the the sequencing, in some senses, and I think that this has you know, there's one twist in this story that is, you know, unique in its own way in that, you know, I was mentoring these guys for like three months in a very benign, safe sort of environment. We were at the Harvard iLab, you know, I would meet with them once a week for, you know, a chunk of an afternoon. Uh, I would then get in my car and drive off, you know, to, you know, go home and sort of hang out with my family. Um, and over, and so there was no agenda other than I was trying to help them. Uh, and to some degree, you know, it ended up being, I don't think it was intended to be, but it ended up being a test drive because they got to see what was I like to be with in a, you know, two and a half hour meeting. And, you know, there, I have a style, I'm a CEO by training and, you know, there was some uncertainty amongst them around where they were going and what the business should be. And those are environments that, you know, there was a need to, you know, have somebody kind of step in and start driving direction. And so I started to do that. And, you know, I guess the test was the first day, first one or two times, whether there'd be pushback, like, hey, this is our business, we know what we're doing, you know. You stay out of there. We just want to know, like, you know, what investors you can introduce us to. Um, but there wasn't. I mean, they were all ears uh, because they very much wanted to figure it out. So we spent three months building trust. And trust is a very important uh, sort of uh, piece of the story, um, not just for millennials, for any sort of healthy working relationship. Um, marital relationship too. Um, and so 
you know, by the time we got to the end of that three-month period, I mean, they sort of had a sense of what I was like and what my style was. I would say, you know, this generation, if you will, if I could say, uh, you know, make some distinctions that maybe are a little bit different than baby boomers, um, is if you think about the years you just talked about, like when they were born, you know, sort of in that, you know, mid mm-hmm. mid late 80s. Um, so this is a generation that um, basically it grew up with the Internet. Uh, it came of age uh, during 9-11. Uh, you know, it came of age during the financial crisis uh, where all, you know, key institutions basically let everybody down. Um, so... Uh, it came of age during a period of great polarization in the social discourse of the country. So there's an element of, um, uh, I would say, not uh, suspicion might be overstating it, but, um, you know, I think few things are just taken at face value. Uh, there's a sense of um, wanting to sort of hear different points of a story to sort of hear all sides, if you will. Um, and in the case of the particular people I'm sort of working with, uh, there's a very high bias to fact-based decision-making. And this is where, you know, I think that, you know, we, in, you know, by sort of, you know, kind of, co- I guess, partially coincidence, um, we ended up being very similar um, in our styles. Uh, you know, in that I'm very fact-based. I'm a systems thinker. Um, I'm analytical and data-oriented, and that's very much what the Myers-Briggs stuff showed we all were. And you know, I do the. There's our sirens, but they're not coming. Yep. For us. Um, so you know, I think that I did the. You know, I I have a sort of an organizational uh, psychologist who I've worked with over many years, many companies. Um, and so I had him come in for a half day for, you know, basically sort of organizational hygiene, you know, sort of walk through the four stages of team development, forming, storming, norming, and hopefully performing. Uh, we did a Myers-Briggs. We did, I think, one or two other tests um, to really just do a little self-reflection and awareness about what were we like as a team. And um, I would tell you, I've done this with other teams. There are some people that get very uh, sort of are very um, apprehensive about going through that kind of process. Um, these guys were not. They were all, you know, all, all ears. You know, let's, uh, let's see what the data says. You know, again, data-oriented, fact-based. So, um, so I think that we ended up having similar styles uh, and that really has helped in the gelling of this particular team. Um, if we were different styles, if we had a couple of thinkers and a couple of real emotional feelers, um, it would be a bit different, and I'd have to sort of adjust my style accordingly. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and I certainly appreciate that. And, and going back, you know, as you were talking, I'm, I'm, you know, one is you, you and I are on the same page. But I'm also thinking of that uh, 50, 55-year-old, even 45-year-old manager who constantly is telling me that, well, you know, the, the, the millennials we have were in our industry or in our ge- geographic area, you know, they're not like that. I mean, we're seeing the kids that are narcissistic. They want to be CEO tomorrow. Um, they want to play by the rules. They don't want to, you know, whatever they're dressed. They don't want to come in on, the, you know, the same time schedule. 
Um, so what I hear you saying is, is for them one of the solutions might be to, one is you have to have respect and you have to have a way to communicate and, uh, and tools like Myers-Briggs or DISC or, or whatever you're going to use are helpful because they're objective, you know, kind of an objective of, of assessment saying, okay, here's how I present my, you know, here, here's how I communicate, here's how you communicate, and it may have nothing to do with age, it just has to do with our communication style. Am I, am I correct? I mean, is that... Would, I, I think, you, you know, um, uh, what I... So there's a couple of things that sort of come to mind. Uh, the first is, I think that there is a prejudice that is out there amongst older boomers, if you will, um, that tends to not give millennials the benefit of the doubt. And I'll give two examples. So first there's this sort of, there was this um, sort of well-publicized book uh, called Disrupted by a baby boomer here in Boston mm -hmm. named Dan Lyons. And he went to work yep. for a sort of well-known company, certainly here in Boston, called HubSpot, had an IPO yep. and so on. And he yep, writes familiar, about familiar with both. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, Dan actually lives in my old hometown, in the town I used to live in. And so, you know, I read the book, and I know, I know, how, I know fair, you know, I know, I know the sort of founders, and I've met them certainly. Um, and you know, what, the biggest takeaway I had was this guy came in with um, a fair amount of insecurity. Uh, he had been let go from his job, and here are these sort of, you know, younger people, you know, who are totally down the curve on technology and are, you know, hip and so on. And he's feeling a little edgy. You can tell it, and you read the book, you know, he, right out of the box. You know, day one, he's edgy. He's a little unsure of himself. He's not confident. And as he gets further into it, you know, he is, starts to see everything through this prism of like all the things that are bad about these people. Now, of course, the irony is that HubSpot regularly gets rated as one of the top 10 companies to work for in third-party surveys of the workforce. So the, the people who are working there seem to be pretty happy. And I know a few people who I really respect who uh, have, I know one in particular who worked there for like five years and just left, and he said it was an awesome environment. So I think Lyons came in, and he, he, he was not sure of himself. He was insecure. He was, mm. didn't give the benefit of the doubt. He saw everything through a negative lens, and maybe there were some things that were not good, but I don't think he necessarily rose to the occasion either. I think of another example of a classmate of mine from business school who made a comment in a phone call like a month or so ago, said, oh, he's millennials. Like, I'll never hire one ever one again. It was like, you know, she was totally dismissive, you know. The whole, right. the whole right. you know, 20 I hear million. that all the time. Yeah, and, I hear that all the time. And, you know, it's sort of like, but wait a minute. Like, that's like feels too broad a brush. I mean, these are people. They're humans. Now, one thing that's quite different about them um, and you think going back to, you know, the era that they grew up with, different than my era. When I went, to, got out of college, there was a substantial chunk of people in my class or my age group cohort who went to work for a big company and truly thought they were going to work for that company for their entire lives, just as their fathers had. Yep. 
That does not exist anymore. Nobody is thinking like jobs for life because guess what? That's a sort of an, this comes back to the competitive economy. So they're very aware that, you know, this is a, you know, a little bit of a dog eat dog world, every man for himself. And they're not just going to take things on blind faith. And you just have to understand that, which means that part of working with these people is to be very sort of authentic, transparent, putting it out there. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's sort of a win. You're looking for the win-win negotiations. And, you know, I need you to work in my department. Great. This is the role I need. What's the win-win? And part of the win-win is how do I help you advance in your career? One of the things that I said to these guys is part of what I believe my role here as the CEO, really the founding CEO, um, they're the founders, but I'm the founding CEO, part of my role is to coach them so that whenever this thing sort of is over for them, um, that they are really um, able to go in front of a top-tier venture capitalist and be a credible founder-CEO candidate, which they weren't um, when I met them because they had done a whole bunch of inter, you know, uh, pitches uh, out in Silicon Valley, and which had not been very successful. And so my promise to them is I'll make – sure that the next time you do that, you're very credible. And that's my sort of part of my contract with them. And same thing for, you know, the head of sales we brought in, you know, I'm going to make sure he's ready to be a true senior VP of sales and maybe even a CEO. So I have to mentor them, you know, in soft skills and share learnings and so on. And that buys you know, a level of relationship that is different than you come to work for me. Another way of saying this is there's two kinds of power in life. There's hierarchical power and there's relational power. And, you know, the world was a hierarchical power place. Some places still are. But where we're going and where this generation, you know, wants to go is relational power relationships. Oh, no, absolutely. And, and what I hear you saying, and we're, we're coming up toward the end of our time here, um, because we can, I'm sure we, you and I can talk forever about this, especially being <laughs> baby boomers, and, and we have a, a different perspective on the millennials and, and how we approach it. Um, but so what I hear you saying is, I mean, you had the opportunity for a mentoring relationship, and, and somebody who's hiring somebody who may not have that, um, you know, that would be one of the first steps that when you bring somebody in that you have to establish that, not throw them in the deep end and see how they, how they swim, but there's got to be a, a little coaching and mentoring along the way and, and also having a mutual respect and, and a little bit more of a, a, a less biased approach. One of the questions that, that I do want to ask you, is, and we all learn from these experiences, what would you do differently? I mean, had, you know, going back, you know, roll back the clock 12 months or 18 months and, and say, hey, I'm starting, what would you do differently working with uh, the millennials? So, I mean, working with our, the, the founding team here? Yeah. I mean, it was, is there anything that you said, gosh, if I had to do it over again, even though you came in with uh, an open mind and respect and, and you do all these things, is there anything differently you would do? Um, you know, I honestly don't think there is. Okay. You know, I mean, it's, it's been a very positive relationship. I think the trust 
and sort of camaraderie is sort of developed uh, naturally over time, so it's healthy and it's, you know, deepening. Um, I think I've come to really like these guys. Uh, I can't really like someone until I get to know them, and that takes time. And I think they've sort of in the same way. Um, so I, I actually don't think I would do a whole lot differently. Well, you offered you know, I, mean, I, I, mean, I have yeah. a situation that's working out really well, so I, I don't. Yeah, no, absolutely. But but you've done. You know, again, you had the opportunity to work with these guys for three months before, and and that was probably one of the the, the reasons you even pursued it. But the advice is still sound. I mean, if if I if I'm looking for somebody, I hire them, and they seem to be the best candidate. I, I'd certainly bring them in and and create that relationship. You know, you you and I grew up in a time when they used to have these 90 day probation periods. You know, people would come on and and eventually every almost every state has that now and you know kind of an at will um but the reality is is that there was this 90-day probation period that it was kind of a get to know one another and i'm not sure i like the term probationary period but you know it should be a mentoring period and uh, you know may and and if both parties come in at the same time you know that works and i think that's the message you were sharing yep yep absolutely yep. Well, I appreciate, John, I, I actually I appreciate it so much. Uh, again, as soon as I read your your response to my question, it uh, looked like we had a, a lot to follow, and hopefully we'll have a, an opportunity to do this again. Um, but if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do that? Or, or to, uh, to use your services? Yeah, it's pretty simple. It's uh, John, J-O-N, uh, at collegevine.com. Okay, and that's uh, just as it says, collegevine, V-I-N-E, dot com. Yep. Appreciate it. Well, you have a, a, a great day. Good All luck right. on the venture. It sounds like you're doing so many things that are, are just up and up. And for everyone who's listening, this is Ira Wolf. I'm the host of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And looking forward to uh, hearing from you next time as well. Have a great day, everyone. For more articles like this, you can visit our website, successperformancesolutions.com. That's www.successperformancesolutions.com. Or subscribe to our podcast, Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization, on iTunes, or visit the podcast website at www.geeksgeezersandgoogleization.com.